the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, joining us today in studio, a very special guest. He is lead pastor of Vineyard Christian Church, located on the Mid-Peninsula in San Carlos. He's Pastor Duke Tabor. And Pastor Tabor, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me. And I guess we should say a happy anniversary to you. I understand you've just recently celebrated three years as senior pastor at Vineyard Fellowship on the Peninsula. So congratulations and welcome, a bit belated, to the San Francisco Bay Area. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, it's great to be here and great to be on the program. Uh, yeah, three years. It's gone fast. Uh, it's been just a, you know, we got a great group of people and it's been enjoyable. It hasn't been painful. What have you found different about pastoring in the Bay Area? And I asked that question as we'll learn your story today. Um, you originally have your roots in the Pacific Northwest, just outside of the City of the Roses, Portland, Oregon. You spent some time pastoring uh, I guess we should call it a ghost town. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Out in Lincoln County, part of Nevada. Where is that even near? Anything that folks would know? Stone's Not throw really. From... It's 100 miles south of Ely and 175, or 170 miles north of Vegas. All right. So I guess the, the Vegas reference would, would at least give us a little sense. but. Yeah. but it's on the really eastern a, side. A teeny tiny small town. And, of course, uh, both, I think, um, huge contrasts from yes. pastoring in a major metropolitan area that is uh, not only in the cutting edge in terms of technology and, of course, uh, perhaps the makeup of the Bay Area uh, looks like any mission field anywhere on planet Earth all melded into one. <laughs> yeah, well, Pioch was uh, at a population of 750. Salute! Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was primarily a, a Mormon community uh, with a couple evangelical churches. And, yeah, it was it was quite different. But uh, And I've primarily ministered in flyover country, uh, spent most of time both in Pioch and in Ely and then in a little town called Pine Haven, Wyoming. And... Uh, those are places that people forget about, and it's quite different than the Bay Area, both uh, demographically and politically, and uh, their worldview is just totally different. So it's been interesting. It's been an adjustment, but it's been good. Do you get the sense that you're literally sort of on the front lines of the battlefield in terms of the kind of missionary work that needs to be done in an area like this that... Um, I guess largely because of our success economically, as well as sort of the California mindset. We're we're, we're kind of different animals out here in the Bay Area from from most parts of the, the flyover country, as you call it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it is. Um, oh, it's hard to you know it's hard to digest it into one little paragraph. But uh, the culture of the Bay Area has a worldview that, well, I, I just call it politically correct. And in that, they look at everything from just a, a natural perspective of the five senses 
and they look at it from a perspective of we are on the cutting edge. We a little bit of pridefulness of, you know, we have it together versus what I see as a biblical worldview is that, yes, we understand that there's five senses, but we also understand that there is something beyond the five senses that is supernatural in nature and not just natural. And we also understand that the scriptures is where we base our culture, not just what we have experienced around us. So as a worldview, uh, there is a change and a transformation that has to happen. And it doesn't happen or it, it doesn't come naturally to those in the Bay Area. And we are having to show them that there is more. While perhaps it may be true that most people don't recognize the spiritual dynamic, do you think that nevertheless there are ways and fashions in which they're seeking to try and fulfill that spiritual hunger in their life, that that, that God-shaped hole, so to speak? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, We are all created with a God-shaped hole, and we will fill it with whatever we can figure out to fill it with. And for some, it may be uh, technology and diversion and gaming and those types of things. For others, it might be uh, drugs, alcohol. For others, it might be relationships, uh, including those that are harmful relationships. Uh, But they all try to fill it. And in all honesty, they all have gods. Just look at their checkbook. You'll figure out what their god is. Very true. They say if you want to get to a, a, a peek into the man's soul, just peek into his checkbook. And That's right. You a lot. That's right. What about yourself in, in terms of your own life experience coming to find fulfillment in, in, in meeting that hunger that maybe early on you didn't recognize was, was your spirit longing for a relationship with the Creator? Eventually, of course, that came to fruition. Tell us a bit about your, your journey. How did that all begin? Well, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, which has a lot of the same type of culture uh, in the Portland area as the Bay Area does. And I grew up, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And that's where you looked for uh, your fulfillment. Uh, I was involved in music. I was a bass player, uh, singer. I uh, And this was in early years in high school. Uh, and... You know, I was searching for it. I, In fact, I remember giving a speech on astrology in speech class and, you know, was reading books on how to astral, do astral projection and those types of things. And so I was seeking, not even realizing I was seeking, because out of one side of my mouth I was looking for all these things, and out of the other side of my mouth I said, there's no God. And so... Um, for me, my experience happened. It was, I guess it's unique. I don't know. I It was unique to me. Is uh, I met a Christian girl who broke the rules. Uh, she said she would go out with me if I'd go to church with her. <laughs> missionary dating. <laughs> That's right. Missionary dating. And I, I'd been to church. Uh, I was, uh, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I was sprinkled as a Presbyterian as a baby, and I went to church with my grandparents, and they gave me uh, uh, peppermint lifesavers to keep me quiet while I was sitting there in the pews. And uh, as a 
uh, in junior high, I went and I was confirmed as a Methodist, uh, went through their confirmation class. But I had no spiritual experience. This was just Muffed around religion, but not relationship. Yeah, exactly. And so I thought, I can handle this God thing. I'll go to church with her and, you know, we'll start dating. And so I went to church with her, and it wasn't like church that I had ever experienced before. And it wasn't that I remember anything about, it was a youth group, and I didn't remember anything about the message the youth pastor gave. The only thing I remembered is that they prayed like somebody was listening on the other end. Mm. It wasn't these prayers that, you know, I'd been to church and they prayed these lofty prayers that, you know, they're trying to impress one another, not God. I mean, you know, oh, thou art heavenly father who thus. It's like, you know, who are you trying to uh, impress here? But that wasn't the type of prayers I heard there. They said, Jesus, come, speak to our hearts. Lord, we have these needs. We ask that you would take care of them. And that bugged me. I mean, that just really bugged me because, like, is there someone on the other end? And I'd never seen that. So I went home, couldn't sleep, wrestled with everything. I was... I was uh, uh, I was a kid who uh, parents had divorced. My mom had remarried. My stepfather was problematic at best, and I was a mess. I was uh, binge drinking on the weekends, smoking dope. You know, I'd done acid. I'd, I'd done all the drugs, and I was a mess. And so I, my sinner's prayer was simply, God, if you're really there, do something with me. And at that point, my life was changed. If you've joined our conversation a bit late, today in studio with the lead pastor of Vineyard Church Mid-Peninsula, located in San Carlos, he's Pastor Duke Tabor. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to our conversation today with Pastor Duke Tabor. He is lead pastor of Vineyard Church located on the peninsula in San Carlos. And let's pick up the story. Uh, you were sharing a bit of your conversion experience prior to the break, Pastor Tabor. And one of the details that you've talked with me about is the struggle that you dealt with concerning uh, your relationship with your dad. Mm-hmm. And your conversion experience juxtaposed to his conversion experience, or more aptly put, the question in your mind of whether or not it happened. I think a lot of believers, whether we come to Christ late in life and then witness to our parents, um, or perhaps uh, never have an opportunity to witness to our parents because we come to the Lord much even later in life and there's that question of will I see my parent will they be in heaven again how did you work through that struggle and how did that question affect you well it's there's it's a long process um my dad was raised in a presbyterian home uh my grandparents were presbyterians my grandfather was uh elder in his church. And so my dad was raised in a Christian home, but my dad went through 
some experiences that turned him on a different direction. And I, at even talking to my mom and talking to others, I don't understand all of his path. But I know that at one point he was trying to be very faithful and do the right thing, Christian thing, when I was very young. But he had a, an experience where he was, um, he suffered a gunshot wound and it went up through his leg and into his hip. And the bullet tore his the primary nerve in his leg. And so he was they had given him morphine in the hospital and he was one of those people that once he had experienced that drug he was easily addicted and so he went through a process where when he came home he was a changed person and uh, started down a path of drug addiction and other uh, Behavior that, uh, well, it just wasn't healthy. And so by the time I was 12, uh, my parents got divorced. So fast forward to shortly after my conversion, I was converted at the end of age 16, November 18th, 1979. And I, in March of 1981, I was at school. I'd go to school early and hang out with my friends, and we were in the library, and we were yucking it up. And I was being judgmental towards my father and was yucking it up about how bad of a sinner he was. Well, I go to first period band class, and my band teacher says, Duke, they want you down in the office. Now, my first thought is, Oh, brother, what did I do now? (laughs) You know, I'd been to the office before, but not recently, but enough memories to know that's usually not a good thing. So I go down to the office, and the lady says, Duke, your mother says you need to come home now. Now? What's up? She said, I can't tell you anymore. Just go home. So I hopped in my car and headed home. It was a couple-mile trip, and I pull up. And my grandparents' car is in the driveway. And I walk into the house. And my mom grabs me and hugs me and says, Duke, your dad is gone. And I'm sorry, it's, but it changed my relationship with God for quite a while because the guilt of not more than 20 minutes earlier having been bad-mouthing my father and then him being God it drove me to prove that I wasn't bad. It drove me to prove to my Heavenly Father that I was worth saving or having been saved. Uh, 
And so for years I had a performance mentality of I have to prove to my Heavenly Father who I was now juxtapositioning my real dad with my Heavenly Father and having to prove that I wasn't a bad kid to him. And I don't even know if that makes sense, but you you always you seem to always try to make our heavenly father into our earthly father's image and I, the last thing I'd ever done was something that wasn't cool and I think a lot of people have been down that unfortunate path that the last conversation didn't end well that yes. there was a big fight yes and then a telephone call or there was a long period of separation Yes. And then a telephone call. And suddenly now those waves of regret, self-loathing, tremendous guilt, complicated by the question of, my goodness, our last interaction was this horrible knockdown, drag-out fight. We swore never to speak to each other again, whatever. And now further complicated by the lingering question of, you know, there was always a question about whether or not mom was saved or exactly. that dad had rejected the gospel at some point. Yeah. And could I have been contributory in some fashion, unwittingly, toward driving yeah. that parent away from the Lord and is God going to judge me for it? Or just the lingering question of now that mom, dad is gone, will I see them again? Mm-hmm. How, how do we, in our own mind, look at the promises of Scripture, understand that we serve a graceful God, but also a righteous and holy God, and the lingering question of, well, what is the ultimate spiritual fate mm-hmm. of these people of whom I am flesh of their flesh, blood of their blood. And I think for a lot of believers, they they walk around underneath a, a cloud mm-hmm. of doubt and questioning. Yeah, they do. Uh, I know I had witnessed to my dad. I had spent, we'd had a conversation. He rejected what I was saying, but we had had a conversation. I had to work through it, that that question. And I'm not sure that there's a satisfactory answer. But the answer that I worked through was, will not the God of the universe do what is right? And leave it at that. There's always that Romans 1 of God showing himself. Mm-hmm. To each and every one, revealing himself to each and every one. Maybe it's not a conversion experience like our conversion experience. Maybe it didn't happen the way our theology says and prescribes that it should have happened. And yet I guess we have to then realize that ultimately God is still in control. Yep. That his word where he says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, applies to everyone, Mm -hmm. not just ourselves. And the Holy Spirit knows. 
Well, that's the thing, because I, I do not know, and I don't have a satisfactory answer, but I know that he was presented with the gospel. I know that he grew up in a Christian family. So do what I don't know is if he ever asked the Lord to forgive him. And so at this point, the, my only answer is, will not the God of the universe do what is right? And so, and coming from a Pentecostal background versus, say, a Reformed background, for a long time, my thought was, well, he, was, he died in his sins. So he must have went to hell. But through some other experiences in my life, I moved much, much, well, not I slid from that Arminian theology. Mm-hmm. The Arminian slide into Calvinism. Yeah. <laughs> that Arminian slide into Calvinism. I'm not a full Calvinist. I'm a, I call myself a TB Cal- Calvinist. I believe in total depravity and perseverance <laughs> of the saints. I think the other three are problematic. But if he was, if he did, then nobody can t- could have taken him out of the Lord's hands. And if he didn't, at the last moment, you have no idea that yeah. conversation that he had in his spirit yes. with the Holy Spirit. That's right. Does this ultimately then, Pastor Tabor, become a part of the faith walk in yes. simply trusting, saying, God, I don't know, but you know, yeah. and you've got the entirety of the universe, yeah. including my parents' fate yes. in your hands, exactly. and therefore, knowing nothing, yes. yet do I trust yes. you. Exactly. And one nice thing, and this probably didn't read this, uh, is that when I planted my first church in Gresham, Oregon, my mom, who uh, uh, decided she was going to come to church to support her son, but hadn't been to church for over 20 years, uh, she came, and for the first six months, you know, I was faithful, given altar almost every Sunday, you know, if you need Jesus, come on down. And... About six months into it, I, you know, I said, if you need Jesus, raise your hand. And my mom raised her hand. Wow. And so I was privileged to lead my mom to the Lord. If you've joined us late today in the conversation, a visit with Pastor Duke Tabor. He's lead pastor at Vineyard Church, Mid-Peninsula, located in San Carlos. More information, by the way, about the ministry available on the web at GodShack.com. That's GodShack.com. And we'll tell you a bit more about the church coming up later on in our conversation. A brief time out. Back with more right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. Our conversation today with Pastor Duke Tabor, lead pastor of Vineyard Church on the peninsula in San Carlos, sharing a bit of his story and uh, uh, the amazing challenge that I think... um, all of us look at and say, you know, we have questions about the, the spiritual disposition of certain people in our lives. Whatever happened to my first girlfriend, my parent, my brother who passed away years ago, whatever the case might be. And, and as you were articulating prior to the break, that was a question in relationship to your father that you struggled with for a very long period of time. For people eavesdropping on us today that are in that place right now, what kind of advice would you offer them? That, well, the first thing is, is you, I would recommend, in fact, I'm going to recommend a book, uh, a book by uh, 
Ed McGlasson, Edward T. McGlasson, a friend of mine, is the father I never knew. And my advice to you is if you've lost a loved one, especially a father, you need to come to an understanding that our Heavenly Father is not the uh, personification of our earthly father. That our earthly fathers are flawed, but our heavenly father deeply loves us, deeply cares for us, and has a hope and a future for us. And so if you can take off your glasses that are tinted with the experience you had with your earthly father and see clearly our heavenly father it will help you then work through uh, their disposition, what what's happened with them, because uh, we are we are such flawed human beings that when we look at where their eternal destiny is, our perspective jades what it really is, and not only in terms of the perspective on how we see them, but then, too, this can serve as a stumbling block for people who say, it's hard for me to think of God as Heavenly Father mm-hmm. or Abba Father. Yes. When I think of the way my father treated me, yeah. we we allow that, that earthly viewpoint of how we see Father mm-hmm. to interfere with the relationship that our Father in Heaven wants to have with us. Oh, exactly. I viewed for a long time, because my earthly father was a severe disciplinarian, and that doesn't mean I don't agree with discipline, but he was a severe disciplinarian. I viewed my Heavenly Father's perspective towards us as severely disciplinarian. God is up there in Heaven with a big stick, just waiting for Duke to get out of line so he can smack him one. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, if you get out, if you get beyond the way of holiness, whack. And, you know, we all know ourselves well enough to know we're not really all that holy. Do, Do a lot of people struggle in your pastoral experience with the extremes of that, meaning on either one side we see the totality of God's righteousness and holiness, that he is a jealous God, that he is a God that um, demands of us a certain level of perfection, so to speak, and then on the other side of the continuum, a God of grace and tender mercies and compassion. Do you find that sometimes people are on either one extreme or the other, and there's a lack of balance? Uh, I find, and it may be because of the type of ministry I have, but I find primarily most of them are on the severe extreme Mm -hmm. side, and very few understand the grace and mercy side. And how ironic that is, because in one sense, you can't understand God's grace— Unless you understand God's holiness. judgment yes. and his holiness yes. and vice versa. So there's a component that's missing there of our understanding of God, no matter where you fall on that continuum. Yeah, yeah there is. Uh, I am not one that says uh, God, God lets, how do I put this? 
because I don't want to give the wrong impression. Um, I'm not one that says that God doesn't care about how we live. But I am one that would side on, some people would use it in a derogatory term, but would side on greasy grace. And there's a reason for that. Because if God is not gracious and merciful, none of us will slide by. You know, people say greasy grace, everything slides by. Well, if there is not grace, call it what you will, none of us will get by. Because if we break one part of the law, we have broken it all. Well, and it's interesting. Paul talked about the necessity. I mean, Paul, of all people, yes. who following his experience on the road to Damascus, I would say was pretty well plugged in, considering the fact that he was responsible for writing better than half the New Testament. And yet even Paul himself talked about the necessity to die daily to the flesh. Yes. Which tells me even in his experience in a direct encounter with Jesus, um, he needed a lot of God's grace. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you look at his life, there were times when he was pretty hot-headed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Even, he dealt, not just as Saul, but even as Paul. Yes, even as Paul. <laughs> yeah, he was hot-headed. So he definitely, he needed grace daily. and But I want to also give the other side of it. It's not that God condones our failure, our sin. It's that he breaks his heart. You see, it's not about performing. It's about loving. And so our heavenly when you come to understand his grace and his mercy and his love, you come to understand his heart, and all of a sudden you don't want to break that heart because you love him. And as a parent, I'm not looking for my kids to perform, but man, it does my heart good when I see him succeed. Mm-hmm. And that's the same with our Heavenly Father. And at the same token, I've see, my kids have seen it in me at times when they've come to me and tell me things that, I don't want to hear, that I don't want to see. And they see the look on my face, and they know they've broken my heart. So. The experience for a lot of us, hearkening uh, back to your comments regarding the way you saw your dad, your relationship with him, and then that, that image that kind of influenced the way you saw your Heavenly Father, a lot of us then, too, I think, struggle with the notion of being able to not only understand but to embrace the totality of God's grace because it goes beyond our earthly understanding. If God is as righteous and perfect and holy as you say he is, how can he possibly go as far as to sacrifice his only son in order for us to be able to experience forgiveness because God so desperately wants to walk in relationship and fellowship with his creation. And and there's a degree to which I think we never, in spite of the years of study and prayer, and you can go to the best Bible college 10 times over and read the word 200 times a day. I don't believe that we'll ever fully on this side be able to embrace and comprehend the totality and the depth of not just God's righteousness, but God's grace shown toward mankind. Yeah, absolutely. In my life, that performance mentality went all the way up until the year 2000. Uh, in the year 2000, and 
I knew it was coming prior to this, but in the year 2000, my family went through divorce. And, you know, I was already in ministry. I had already planted uh, two churches and resurrected a third and was a successful church planter. I was a church planting coach for the Foursquare denomination. And all of a sudden, my whole identity, who I people thought I was, who everything that went on, all of a sudden, all that got destroyed and went through divorce. And in my book, preachers don't get divorced. If you are going to be divorced, if you're if you suffer divorce, you're done. If you suffered divorce, you know, you've, you've blown it. You did not perform. And yet that's what happened. I was angry at God. I was angry at everybody. <laughs> angry at myself, uh, the whole bit. And so for a year and a half, you know, I basically told Jesus to take a long walk on a short pier forgot he walked on water it didn't bother him (laughs) (laughs) and uh but he didn't give up on me let's pause on that point i want to come back after a brief time out pastor duke Tabor with us today in the studio from vineyard church on the peninsula in san carlos a brief time out back with more of our conversation right after this And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. Today visiting in studio with Pastor Duke Tabor, lead pastor of Vineyard Church, located on the peninsula in San Carlos. And we've been through some amazing parts of your story here today, from um, your own salvation experience, your conversion experience, to what it meant struggling with questions about your relationship with your earthly dad, his relationship with God, eventually working through the pain of your own divorce. Yes. Bring us up to speed now. Um, The ways in which this has changed you, not only in terms of the way you view God, but also in terms of your relationship with God. How have these experiences changed you personally? Oh, it's night and day. Um, There was always this idea that I needed to somehow figure out how to be God's man of power for the hour. You know, that I had to be the man of God at the pulpit and, yeah. And now I'm just I'm just a fat man trying to get to heaven. I'm just a guy who has a talent and is using it. Uh I want to get to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. I'm not that's not in doubt. But I want to arrive there with at least a few treasures to be able to lay at my Savior's feet. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I'm there's nothing special about me. So, you know, the way I lead, the way I uh, am in with my wife today, uh, the way that uh, I walk through life just knowing he's going to work it out, that there's a hope in a future, it just has changed. Is this the crux of the message that you share of hope from the pulpit as well? Oh, absolutely. It, you know, our church, when I, I got there and we started rebuilding and the first thing I started, the foundation I started laying is, is that we're going to be a church uh, that loves, accepts, forgives, and empowers people. And 
no matter where they come from, no matter what their background, we serve a transformational God that will transform their life. And so that's that's the message in a nutshell. And we can't do it by trying to to be the big big church show. We do it by just being who God has created us and relating with other people in a non-hype, non-showy way to just meet them where they're at and let God do the work. Because he's the one that does it. I can't do anything. Authentic Christianity that says, as Paul said, you know, work out my salvation in terms of understanding this road upon which we travel yes. in walking in fellowship with very God himself through the work that he did on the cross and the the means by which God has provided that we might be forgiven and reconciled to enjoy relationship. Absolutely. It's it's a community that's being built and it's a I think it's a, an authentic expression and there's other authentic expressions that look very different than ours. But it's an authentic expression of Christianity that I I personally believe we're filling a niche that is not being filled within the Bay Area. Fair to say it's not about show, but rather about genuine spirituality? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, honestly, I can't pull off being the next Billy Graham or the next Franklin Graham or the next uh, – Andy Stanley. I can't pull it off. I don't want to pull it off. I'm not them. Uh, Our worship leader can't be the next Bethel or the next, uh, you know, uh, Brian Hillsong Hillsong or whatever. I mean, uh, he's 10 years older than me and has more gray hair. And, you know, he would look very funny in skinny jeans. (laughs) So we can't do it. But what we can do is be authentic. We can be real, and we can just be a community of believers who loves Jesus. Tell us about the ministry taking place there. We mentioned that you're located on the peninsula in San Carlos. You meet at 1566 Arroyo Avenue in San Carlos. Tell us a bit about service times and what people can come to expect. Uh, You can expect that it will be pretty low-key, informal. Uh, you, You can expect that people will love you. That people will accept you, uh, even if you look different than us. Uh, that's part of what we do. Uh, you can expect people who sing and worship and focus on Jesus. You can expect that uh, if you need prayer, you you can find somebody to pray with because we pray with people every Sunday. Uh, you can expect that I will, or one of my teaching team will give you a message and give you opportunity to uh, ask questions and uh, learn and understand what the Bible says. We could really, honestly, we really care less how many scriptures you got memorized. We want to know how how well you understand what you've learned, uh, because then you can apply it to your own life. So there's lots of things. We have a Sunday school class, which is really weird for a vineyard, but we have a Sunday school class at 9 o'clock. Uh, and it's, right now, I think there's about 12 people that are going to it, but it's working very well, and they're enjoying it. Uh, we then have our normal service at 10 o'clock, and 
then we hang out afterwards and fellowship and drink coffee and eat donuts and whatever. And, you know, usually by about 1230, I'm having to turn off the lights and shoo them away. <laughs> so uh, it's a good place to be. It's a place where you can build a community, you know, get involved in a community that loves Jesus. Have that little bit of that experience of iron sharpening iron. Iron sharpening iron. And we got all kinds of people from all different backgrounds, from Catholics to Pentecostals. And we get along. And the church, again, meeting at 1566 Arroyo Avenue on the peninsula in San Carlos. Again, the uh, Sunday school class uh, called the Vineyard Cafe at 9 a.m. Sunday service followed at 10 a.m. And if you want to get complete information, including directions, you can simply go online to godshack.com. That's godshack.com. I love the name of the URL. (laughs) That's great stuff. Well, Pastor Duke Tabor, we certainly appreciate you coming by today, sharing not just a bit about the ministry, but as well sharing from your heart. My privilege. It was an honor. Pastor Duke Tabor, again, lead pastor at Vineyard Church, Mid-Peninsula in San Carlos. More information available on the web at godshack.com. That's godshack.com. Our conversation with Pastor Duke, by the way, will be reprised coming up tomorrow at 5 p.m. right here on KFAX. And then a complete Sunday message as part of the Church of the Week, Sunday at 12 noon. Complete information, by the way, regarding those broadcasts available at the KFAX website, simply go to kfax.com. That's kfax.com. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.